welcome to A Book Till Finch. I'm your host, Jessica, and today I'm joined by the owner of The Bookish Box, Justine. Thank you so much for being here. Hi. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. So can you kind of break down how The Bookish Box started, like what the origin story is? So, I mean, it's kind of a long one, I guess, but really... Uh, I would say when would that have been like back in 2013, I got really into reading all over again and I was super broke. We were a family. My husband worked and I stayed home with the kids. Like we were on WIC, just really, really broke. So I couldn't really afford to buy books as fast as I read them. I would read like a book a day and obviously that gets really expensive and Kindle Unlimited, things like that did not exist then. I think libraries didn't even offer like an online ebook platform just yet. So we had found out a friend of mine and I that if you have a book blog, that sometimes you can work with authors and publishers and they'll send you books in advance so you can promote them and everything. So we're like, perfect. We get to talk about something we love and we get to get the books without me going broke. So we did that. So we did that for a little while and we decided to start to sell shirts that we would just like literally paint by hand. Uh, to raise money for us to be able to do uh, like book events, things like that, to be able to go to those events. And um, at what at some point, basically, the shirts were doing better and better. We were selling them on Etsy. And then her and I went separate ways and she really wanted to keep the blog and I really enjoyed the business aspect. I loved creating and, you know, marketing and all that part of it. So once we went separate ways, I really like pushed hard on doing things. And a few months into doing that, um, we did like a 50 shades of gray shirt and the people who were running like the red carpet event for 50 shades of gray contacted us to see if we would be interested in sending, um, like hundreds of our shirts for everybody who attended red carpet events. They give you like these little goodie bags of like promotional things. And, um, and they said, you know, like the celebrities would be wearing them, blah, blah, blah. So we were like, totally. And they were like, okay, we need them in like a week and a half. And I had never printed shirts that fast. Like I was such a novice at printing. I was screen printing at my kitchen counter. Like I really didn't know what I was doing. And so I had to research like crazy to figure out, can I print that many? Is that like even possible? And once I figured that out, I was like, oh, I can be doing more than I am. And then around the same time, another company reached out. It was like a craft company and they would do these boxes where they would work with like 30 different makers and you would all supply 30 items for this box. And by the end of it, you had a box with 30 items from 30 makers. And it was really cool. And I kind of, that was like my first introduction to subscription boxes. And it wasn't even a subscription box, but it was kind of like that. And so we decided to kind of just launch. Literally within a few weeks, we went from like, me having that thought to launch in the box. I kind of just like jumped in. That's kind of the way my thought process always works. And that's what happened. That's a huge jump. And that's so impressive to me to go from that to that so quickly. That's awesome. Yeah, that's what we had to do. I don't know. <laughs> my brain works like that. So like if I want to do something, if it's exciting or interesting to me, I just do it and hope that it was a good decision. I've gotten a little bit better about it now that I'm older, <laughs> but definitely to start, it was just like an impulse. Let's see how this works out. And it worked out. So that's that was lucky. That's awesome. And so what was the first book that you put in the bookish box? 
So the bookish box originally didn't include books. It was, that's why we called it bookish box because it was just the ish of books, right? It wasn't mm-hmm. books themselves because I was a blogger. Um, I liked the idea of not putting a book in it because I ended up getting a lot of the books. So I didn't want to get a duplicate. Uh, we didn't decide to put a book in it, I think until about two years in. And that was at the request of like so many of our members who wanted us to start including books. And I think the first book we did, I want to say it was uh, The Hidden Memory of Objects, something like that. It's a really cool book and it's about a girl that can like hold an object and get a memory from it. And it takes place in DC. So where there's like all this history, it was really, really cool. It's a great book, but As a DC native, I love when books are set here. Because we have such it was a very cool. cool. <laughs> yes, for sure. But it was things that I didn't even realize, like how like people who live in DC don't have representation in the government and all that stuff. So it was just a very cool book and it I we loved it. So that was the very first book we did for sure. What was your first special edition? Was and did that come after starting to add books to the box or did that come before? Yeah. So you can't do a special, like a truly special edition is not just putting a different dust jacket on a book. Um, then the ISB number is the same. And so you can, and there's nothing wrong with doing that, but a truly special edition, you go to the publisher and you have to order thousands and thousands of that book to be able to qualify for that. So right off the bat doing books, we couldn't have done a special edition about two years into us doing books we realized we could print the dust jacket and put the dust jacket on and have that opportunity to do a special edition in that way without having to have these high numbers of books because we introduced books later on. We still had so many subscribers that never switched to a plan that included a book. Mm. So at that time, we were still trying to bring people onto the book plans, um, but we still had most of our subscribers were not on book plan. So we were trying to find a way to like make it interesting. So the first one that we did as like that version of a special edition was to best the boys and which was a great book. And we got to do a dust jacket for it. So we put it on the book on the outside on top of the existing one. So people kind of had that option to give their book like a little extra, but the first book that we did as an actual special edition, um, Gosh, I wish I knew. Maybe it was Star Daughter or it could have been um, Kingdom of the Cursed. I think it might have been King- or Kingdom of the Wicked. And that one was a really fun project. That was actually how I found you guys. What I had just joined Bookstagram around the time of Kingdom of the Wicked and your guys' special edition, I like drooled over, but I joined too late for it. And I like, that was like how I started following you guys. We really loved, I think there was one before and I'm going to hate that. I don't remember whatever our September book was, was the special edition first one. But yeah, so I don't remember, I'm going to be so bummed that I couldn't remember which title it was, but yeah, the Kingdom of the Wicked was so fun to do and they wouldn't even let us do that much with it which was so frustrating when we first did it like we were they were they told us that nobody was going to be allowed to change the cover at all or do anything with the dust jacket so we had to get creative and we said oh let's do like foil embossing can we do like a tip and page with art and they were like you can do all of that just you can't touch the dust jacket it was really strange they're letting us do that now but um 
yeah, they just said that nobody could do that. And we were like, okay, fine. <laughs> Fascinating. Loved the book. So we just were like, whatever, people will love this book. It's such a great, great read. So can you kind of talk about how the process even works? Like in my head, you read a book, you love a book and you reach out to a publisher, <laughs> but I feel like it's definitely more nuanced than that. <laughs> so I will say it depends because there are some books that we know we want to do before we read it. And that's like a second in a series. So like kingdom of the cursed, we told them we're going to want to do the next one before I think they had even finished with, with it. Um, and the timeline right now is a little bit different than it was when we first started because of all the delays that are happening with printing right now, that um, right now we're trying to solidify a January title and our February and our March titles for 2022. And it's tricky because even with this much time in advance, we're having some printers say, or some publishers say that they will not be able to print enough for us, like add to their print run because they're having to push back. And previously we had been said, told like three months, it's fine. Four months in advance is fine. And that's, you know, four months in advance is to order the amount that we need and to do all the customizations that we're requesting. And now it's like six, seven months. And that's a little bit tricky because a lot of publishers don't uh, have manuscripts that early for us. And if they do, it isn't manuscript that can be a little bit uh, rough around the edges. So um we just have to learn to read the book in the manuscript and see like the forest through the trees, essentially like know that this is what it's going to be. It hasn't fully been edited yet, but as long as we like love the, the bones of it, we're going to move forward. So really we will pull, Hey, what's coming out. And we have people in publishing too, that will pitch books to us as well. So if they have a book that either we worked them before and they're like, oh, we know this is going to be something that's like right up your guys's alley, they'll pitch it to us. Or sometimes indie authors will pitch to us and say like, hey, I have this book coming out or whatever. So it kind of happens a bunch of different ways. But essentially, once we've decided on the book, we would submit to the publisher what we're looking for. Um, now, I think if we said for, especially for our YA box, the book is not a special edition. It's not signed. It's just the way it comes. People would be really upset because they have an expectation at this point. So we usually have a handful of books in mind for a month and we put, send off those petitions to all of them. And when whoever comes back with wh whoever's offering us the best for what we want and the book that we feel like is the best fit is the route we'll go. Because once we send that email off, sometimes it's months until we have a firm, here's everything we can offer you guys. Because depending on the author, they can have an agent, a publicist, and all these other people. And everybody has to agree. Even like down to us having the, you know, our tipped in pages signed, that's a lot of work for the author to do. So it's managing that in their timeline along with, you know, they're usually finishing, like going through like third reads or getting ready to do like their tour schedule. So it's a whole bunch of things they have to confirm before they can like agree. And we all like sign a contract. Mm -hmm. How do you decide on a special edition like kingdom of the curse versus one of your subscription books? So if it's a second in a series, if it's not a first in a series, it can't go in the box. Okay. Unless we're providing the first in the series. 
The only exception to that would be if it's in a universe, but not relying on the books before. So for example, um, Red Scrolls of Magic, we featured in the box. It is in the Shadowhunter universe, but you can absolutely read that book on its own and not have to buy the other books. We never want to send a book that for you to understand what's happening, you have to buy previous books because like when you buy a box from us, your experience should be able to be fully intact in that box. Mm -hmm. So we will never put a second in a series in there. The other thing will be is it has to be a new release. So we like it to be within 45 days of when we ship. So if there's a series that maybe I found I'm like late to the game on and we love, well, we have to put it as a special edition if we want to do it because we can't put it in the box. It's too late because we don't want to ever put it in the box and have somebody be like, well, I bought this six months ago. Like, and some people may not care because they're going to get a new edition or special edition of this book, but we don't want to mix that up. So we've always said it has to be a new release and it has to be first in a series um, and that's usually where that starts. And it also has to be that we have enough time. The box numbers are so high that um, if somebody comes in too late in the game uh, and pitches to us, we a lot of times that's the main thing that will happen with, with independent authors is we'll get an email saying, I have a book coming out in September. I'd love for you to consider. And we're like, we pick September in like February. We, we, can't, we can't consider it at this point. But a lot of times with indie authors, they're used to finishing their book and a week later hitting publish. Mm -hmm. So they're not used to having that manuscript ready months in advance. And that's when we would need it because we have to put it to print and that takes a long time. So this process is so fascinating to me. Like you must have such forecasting. Like I can barely forecast this podcast two months out. Like I can't even imagine forecasting like a book box where you need to line up all of these moving pieces. Like it's just. I have a really, really great team. I could not do it by myself. When I think back to when I did do it by myself, I think my quality of life was pretty crappy because it would, I had to put all of my energy right into that. And now I have this incredible team. So my quality of life is a lot better. Like I can do vacations when I'm home with my family, I can be present and it's a whole different experience. So like there is no way our company would be where it is if we didn't have this great team. There's just no way. So we're, I'm very lucky that I have the people who want to come to work. That's amazing. And you have a team that's all over the place too. Like I know Stephanie, who's ideally inspired reviews on Instagram is in like Maryland and you guys are based out of Arizona. And so like, that's such a amazing thing to have such a widespread team. And still like, I feel like you all from Instagram, it seems like you all are very close. (laughs) I mean, we, so, and then our social media person who is in charge of a lot of our curation, Jennifer, uh, she's in New York. So, um, Stephanie and I have been friends for a while. We met a long time ago when she was trying to get me to do a Polycon, which is an event she puts on. Uh, it's Jennifer Armentrout's event. She was Jennifer Armentrout's assistant. And so she's one of like the event planners that works under Jennifer to make this event happen. And she's awesome. So I was at a different event and Stephanie was like, hmm. And she had been a subscriber of ours for a long time. So she already knew who we were. And she was like, I think this would be really great. She was right. A Polycon is one of my absolute favorite events to get to go to. 
but uh so we became friends a while ago and we became friends like outside of professional of her a while ago and she's just a really great person and things just really lined up for her to help and come on for the adult box which is what she helped curate so um and jennifer was one of our reps and she just was very good at content creation so when we needed to hire a new uh instagram person to really handle all of that that content creation and social media and interaction with people she was somebody that immediately came to mind and it worked out so we we are close we have meetings multiple times a week usually they're facetime meetings our office is a chaotic wild place and we're all really goofy and so encouraging and so when we have these calls i think it's really great because our two like people who work from home are like oh my god <laughs> and we've gotten really close we had them fly out last month and we all did like a curator retreat and we went to sedona and it was so much fun and it's i think it's important um I probably, the idea of having remote employees is not ideal for me because I really like having my team where I can see them and bounce ideas and like we can give each other good energy, you know, but um, the people that I have hired, I am really glad I did. Like they've been incredible. That's awesome. Yeah, I see all your guys' posts and I everything. And I'm like, this looks so much fun. <laughs> we We really do have a good time. And I mean, everybody that I have working for me, I trust like implicitly. So like, I just am very, I don't know. I, I can say I'm like really lucky, but we're also really strategic in our hiring. And I feel like it is paid off for sure. That's awesome. So for those of you who don't know, the Bookish Box has several levels of subscription. So for example, they have a young adult and an adult book box and those are separated into levels. What made you want to do all of this? <laughs> like that have the two different boxes and have the different levels within? Um, well, we started as with the box when it before had a book, we offered a woman's shirt or unisex shirt. And it was because in our shop, that's how we offered it. Um, and then we offered a goodies only option that didn't include a shirt. It was just the items uh, because we wanted kind of like an option for people who if they needed to take a break from the subscription due to financial reasons. We offered instead, you could just kind of like down downgrade your uh, subscription so you didn't lose your spot. And that really was born out of at the first two years we sold out and we sold out often. So people, if you canceled or even skipped, you I mean, you can only skip so many times. I mean, you would you would lose your spot. So we were kind of trying to find a way to make that work. And then when we launched the box, we couldn't just force people to pay more money with the book option. So we had to leave those options alone and let people choose if they wanted to switch and introduce the book option. So a lot of it has just been really, you could look at all the options and say like, oh, this is their growth chart essentially, because that's really what it was. And so now we have our options that we actively offer so people who are on plans because they were always been on it whatever and they're still allowed to be on those plans but any new plans that we offer to new subscribers are just the ya book or adult book only and those are for people who really just want the book um or you can get a book and goodies or a book shirt and goodies and those are the plans that we offer and i think those ones we specifically offer because i feel like it tries to be inclusive essentially um i don't want to force people to get a shirt because for some people they don't wear t-shirts 
but we have a lot of people who really love shirts and love our shirts. So I would not want to remove those from an option. We stopped offering the woman's fitted shirt because we really just had a hard time sourcing it. And it kept being that like, there were no color options or the size fits were weird or whatever, even though we were ordering the same brand. So we eventually switched over to one brand, which is unisex, and it is a more expensive brand, but we're very happy with the quality. And so we've, we've been very happy with that move, but all of those were just like a process of us trying to get into a spot and who knows what will be in a year, you know, like our constant is change. So, and what made you want to do two different, like, I know, like, for example, like fairy Lou only really has what feels like young adult, but they only have the one option what made you want to do a young adult and an adult uh, box well the adult box launched more than once the first time it launched was in another name and i just did not have the time to carry it so i closed it down and so when we relaunched it it was because one of our previous employees was really wanting us to do it and me with them ended up with this we kind of came up with this uh I guess you can say the concept of doing like a lifestyle box. So that way it was almost more marketable because the thing with the YA box is everything is so inspired by fandoms. If you're not a reader who is very plugged into this community, a lot of those items are going to be lost on you. And you're kind of going to feel weird wearing a shirt with a quote from a book you've never read or like carrying a book sleeve that's got a quote with an artist or like a character art that you're like, I don't really know who that person is. You know what I mean? So we really wanted an option for like a casual reader, which is what that adult box was. So we're reformatting it over the last few months where we are adding some uh, fandom inspirations, but they're meant to still feel very uh, like concepts wise, like still very adult and uh, I guess not obvious fandom. So really somebody who isn't super plugged into fandoms would still enjoy the box and all the items, but um yeah, we just kind of want to give something for everybody. And I like the adult box for the ability that really you could, if your mother-in-law just like loves books, it's a great option for her because she's not going to get it and be like, I don't know what Akatar is. Like, why does this cup with three stars mean anything to me? And you're like, probably doesn't. And I mean, the cool thing is, is with the YA box, when that happens, people will go get that book, which is really cool. I love when people say like, I finally read this series because you guys kept sending me stuff. So I had to, and now I love it. And I love that. But with the adult box, you know, we have a lot of adults who get the YA box, but we have only really adults who get the adult box. And typically those adults are ones that don't have as much time to do tons of reading. So I want to make sure that they have the value of, they can have a box about books and still get a value in it without feeling like they have to read a bunch of other ones to find value. So it's kind of like a balance and I don't know, we just, we have enough people to do it now. So it makes sense. That's awesome. How do you see that the rise of new, like the new adult genre affecting these subscriptions? Do you see it affecting it at all? So our young adult box is definitely on the edge of being young adult to adult. Like the books that we, uh, key, they, that we include are not necessarily something I would say for a 13 year old, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I would say they're high school young adult. And a lot of our subscribers are high school young adult, then they're college adult. You know what I mean? Like they're growing up as we get older. So I 
personally yet love new adult fandom like that genre of books whether it's romance or fantasy or contemporary I love it um it's like that perfect middle ground for me so I don't know I think it'll be great and I think honestly you know when we first launched fantasy books were not it people were not into fantasy books they were still because of how old I am and how old long ago we launched it was dystopian it was paranormal romance. It was things like Vampire Academy. And um, and then it had like, what is those Divergent and Hunger Games. And then it kind of moved into contemporary. So everybody was reading like John Green books and Jennifer Niven. And now people are so hard in fantasy, like a science fiction fantasy, high fantasy realm is where people are really at. And so typically most of our picks are those, you know, and um, you have books that are like right on the cusp where the main character, depending on whether or not, I guess it fades to black, you would say whether this is young adult or new adult. Um, we, st- we strictly pick new adult or sorry, young adult for the YA box though. So it has to be publisher classified, mm-hmm. but they, I mean, they definitely pushed Akatar as a young adult when it is a, definitely a new adult. So it's a blurry line and we're, I mean, we're here for it. Like we just <laughs> want to see where things are going listening to you talk about like the evolution of reading and what's popular I was like yeah I was in every single one of those (laughs) (laughs) well and it's funny because I'm like who makes it popular it's kind of like fashion like (laughs) who decides what's in fashion and it's like well I just read what I like but you don't realize what you like is so influenced by what's around you and what other people are wearing and also by what other people are reading and all of that so somewhere along the lane that's where people are pushing and publishers are kind of catching up too where they're now trying to push more fantasy books because we'll have a month come then we're like there are literally two fantasy books releasing this month there are over 200 young adult boxes how is that going to shake out you know what I mean so uh, you can see a lot of publishers pushing now to get more fantasy books and hopefully diverse fantasy books by not just white authors and so it does make it hard I think because we we want to stay on trend and we also want to have a book that like a box and a book that reflects the people who read which are all kinds of people so we're trying to follow the trends and do all this stuff but it is really crazy because it's really like who set this trend like who did it (laughs) and you want to say the readers but I don't think it's the readers I feel like someone's pushing this at us we love it so no one's going to complain like all these fantasy books I'm loving just as much as I loved contemporary and the paranormal romance. And so it's really fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you really wonder like, when did that become the popular thing and like what publisher pushed it and how did they do it? Because I would like to know their secrets. <laughs> when Akatar dropped, it was still dystopian was still really popular. So like the very first book in the Akatar series, I remember was kind of the start of the fantasy but there was a bunch of other books at the same time but for me I remember when I first opened it to read it I was doing an audiobook while I was working and I just couldn't it didn't it had to do world building and I wasn't used to that because even in dystopian novels I feel like they don't do as much world world building as a fantasy yeah. book does and so I had to like put it down and then go back to it and then I was like absorbed into this whole world but I don't know it some point it happened but I'm glad it did I feel like fantasy worlds are really fun definitely it's like my fate like my sweet spot
talk to me about your artistic partnerships. Because like you mentioned, you provide goodies in the boxes and you partner with a ton of amazing artists. Like I see those reveals and it's just beautiful. How do you go about curating that relationship? So with artists in particular, it really just, I'm always looking for a new artist. And so is our other curator. We're always looking for artists and we have an artist that we've gained a really good relationship with. And we will repeat either because people are obsessed with them. And we know that people will always click by on their stuff. We love their stuff. And we also have artists who we really love, but we also especially love because they are great at hitting deadlines. Like that is really great to us. And we have artists that we will continue to use that are not great at deadlines because we love their work so much, but it is always really great to work with an artist who is really talented, who really has a good vision and a unique style and can hit deadlines and communicate all the while. It's just a lot to ask for on our end, but, um, Typically, if there's an artist you want to work with, you reach out to them and say like, hey, usually we have a project in mind. So like for the From Blood and Ash books, we actually hired a book designer on board for that series. And so what a book designer does is they come up with different concepts that you're going to use for the book. So they would be the ones that say, here's a concept like for From Blood and Ash, we're using circles really as our concept. So like we have these circles that highlight different areas and on the spines that connect to the spines. And she is who came up with that concept. Her name is Regina and she's amazing. Um, and so she kind of said like, here is this concept. I pull this concept from this artist that you guys have chosen. I've seen she uses concepts like this. So this will feel like good to her. We never want to hire an artist without a concept in mind because the concept kind of goes hand in hand. And so now for us, what we will typically do is we will decide what we're looking for. So say we're doing for a, a, you know, for an alternate cover for a book, if the cover of the book has a lot of art, like illustration fan art style already, we kind of usually will want to pivot away from that. So we'll either want to do very stylized or very like hand lettering font heavy instead because you want to give people something different than what they're being offered already. So then if we decide that, then we will find what artists are we wanting to work with? What artists would be interesting or have we worked that come to mind? And then we will petition them and say like, Hey, what is your schedule? Are you able to work on this? And then when they say yes, that's when we then come back and say, okay, we really love this, this, and this that you've done. And so we'd like you to use this style to do this concept for this what we're doing. And that's typically how that goes. But a lot of it is people will either email us and ask to work with us. So we kind of like keep their information on file or literally if I'm just on Instagram and it's like, or my FYP page, I'll see like an artist and I send it, I'll send it and I'll send it to the other, I'll like clip it and send it to the other curator. And she'll basically just put it on a list. So when we're trying to think of things we're like, Oh, we saw this person really liked her or this person, then we love them or whatever. So is that true for like the goodies as well? Like you'll have a concept for those, like um, both. So for goodies, we are thinking like what phantoms work with this theme, mm-hmm. and we're also thinking seasonally what's appropriate, what's trendy, what's current, and also like what will be used. 
we want to really avoid sending so many things that will just sit somewhere and not really get use out of them. So when we're considering an item, it's always like, is this seasonally appropriate? Like, are we sending a beach towel in the middle of the winter? Um, is this appropriate uh, usage? Like, will people be able to use this? Is this, especially if it's the large item in the box, will the majority of people who get it be able to use it? And then we also will do for our price point, can we deliver a quality product on this? So like there are items, I'm just trying to think of something like, okay, I have a remote control in front of me. So like they were like, let's do a bookish remote control. When I went through my manufacturing and figured out what the cost of it is, if there's no way to put a quality remote control in our box at the price point we offer, then we don't want to do it. Like I don't ever want to do like a cheap version of X. That would be something instead we could put in a special edition box where we get to set the price or like drop it in the shop directly. But that's typically how that works. And a lot of the goodies we have things in mind. So if say we're wanting to do a book sleeve, then we'll reach out to an artist to do the design for us and then we'll manufacture it ourselves. Okay. You mentioned the bookish shop. Do you try to keep the bookish box and the bookish shop somewhat separate? Um, they're separate in concept, I guess. So they're all on one site. Most people who shop at one shop at the other. Mm-hmm. But um, I guess concept-wise, for example, shirts in the box, we always want to make sure if we're doing a quote from a shirt or from a book on a shirt that is a quote that is effortlessly not specific to that book only. So if we're going to put a quote on a shirt, we'll maybe try to find a bookish quote in that book to put on a shirt so anybody could wear it. Whereas in the shop, you're going to be searching for that fandom. So you want something specific to that fandom on your shirt. So we want to deliver that. So we kind of have different concepts like that. Also the shop, because it's not in a subscription box, we have a larger profit margin there. So we can really do more. Like we can, we have more options available to us because we can charge what makes sense on those. Whereas the box is a set price. So I, here's, I have to fit everything in this circle and anything that doesn't isn't an option in the shop. It's like, will people buy it? Then let's do it because then we're, we have an audience. So that's kind of how that works. But they're not separate. We want people to shop at both and be aware of both. We really, we separate them as like a separate Instagram. So that way we can promote both of them, have enough time without overloading people's feeds. But they're really together in our minds, I think. That's awesome. My first purchase from the bookish box was the Twilight um, book covers. And those are gorgeous and I've just you just take all my money (laughs) yeah I really like those I feel like the aesthetic vibe of those is beautiful they were it was perfect the I feel like book boxes are just like having a moment right now how do you handle competition with such a specific business model is it not something that's like on your radar at all or um, so I would say it's beginning. It was um like I was friends with Karina from Alcrate early, early days. And we were actually uh the bookish shop was actually in their boxes the first year. And we launched like three months before we were featured. 
And um, so when we decided to put a book in the box, I remember I reached out to Karina because I didn't want her to think I was like stepping on her toes. And I was like, I just feel like you need to know that I'm doing this. I have like all of our customers are requesting it and I don't want you to feel. And and I think she said something like, yeah, like do what your customers want. That's crazy to not. And there's also so many other people in this space. We don't have to like be uh, possessive over something. So there's some things that I feel that way about, like, you know, with competition, I don't think I own the rights to a specific book. Like I'm not mad that somebody else is using Akatar as like a reference point or something like that. And there are things that I feel like are more unique to our identity that if somebody did that, that would be frustrating. And then there's kind of like that gray area, you know, like when we first launched doing a pin in our boxes, nobody else was doing enamel pins in their boxes as a monthly collectible. We launched that and nobody else was doing it. I think they were doing pins every now and then, but nobody did it as a collectible. And now I think every box does, but like that is not unique. Maybe at that point it was unique to us and it's not anymore. So we've moved on. That doesn't have to be unique to me because I'm certain they didn't do that because they were like, bookish box. We're going to steal your customers. They did that because their customers were saying, oh, I saw another box do that. Or you did pin one time. Can you do more often? And that was the end of it. Like, I think I do best my mental health if I'm not thinking people are out to get me. And instead, I think that they're like looking at their audience and saying, what can we do for our audience? And there's so many times that your audience will request something from you that you start to do. And you don't even realize they're requesting it because they saw it somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And like, now you've done something that somebody else is doing. And I would be crazy to say that I've never done something that somebody else is doing on accident. And so I just assume that's where people else, other people are at. Like even doing like a playlist with our box, we started doing that in 2016, I think when we started doing them, we had, I had hired somebody. She was really awesome. I don't know if you remember her, but her name was destiny and she was so much fun and she was helping me curate for a while. And she, and I decided to do these playlists and she would make the playlist. We would help a little bit, but she loved doing it. And at that point, was it unique to our box? Yes. But would it be unique to our box now? No but there's like natural progression that every box is doing. And my goal is to not ever directly take an idea from another company. And I think especially subscription boxes, that's trickier, but from small businesses is kind of like where I would draw my line. Like if a small business launches a collection that you're not doing yet, nobody else is doing yet. And then you launch that collection. I think that's shady. You, I mean, the small business is the one who took the gamble of people not buying it and not liking the collection. And you got the benefit of watching and seeing people like it and say, okay, now I know that it's good. I'll do it. And I just feel like that's not cool. So I think that if you're in that position and your customers are requesting you do that type of collection, then what you should do is find a way to work with that small shop to like bring them up. And there's definitely times that are overlap, like at our curation little meetup thing that we did with our team, we literally laid out everything for the next year, all these grand ideas. Everybody for the last couple of months had been planning and writing down ideas to bring to this meeting. And one of our ideas this week, somebody else said, I'm thinking about doing this. And then two days later, they launched it. And we were like, shoot, <laughs> like, do we still launch? Is this still our original idea? 
like, how do we do that? And they were like, well, it wasn't our original idea if somebody else did it. And it probably wasn't an original idea if they did it because like, we're all kind of working in the same realm. And that's what's tricky is we're all working off of the same damn books. So like, we can't, to claim ownership or possession over something is really tricky. I just think that something really unique is clearly somebody else's and that should not be really touched. That's all. But otherwise, I don't know. I, I try to not be competitive. It's difficult because our customers are competitive for us. Like we're constantly being compared to other boxes and people are really bold like to comment and be like, oh, I saw so-and-so's and their edition is just way better. And you're like, cool, thanks. Like, I wish you never told me that. Like, thanks at first. And then you're like, okay, well, what are they doing that we're not? Like, maybe we could be improving. Like, what do we need to be doing? And that's kind of like what it is. Like we just launched in our new special editions that we just announced that we're going to be doing for edge printing, which I'm so excited for. And I haven't seen anybody do in the last like 40 years. <laughs> so like, it's a, oh, it's a very old thing that we want to bring back and we're really excited about it. But if people get them and they really love them and they start requesting it, I would not be surprised if other boxes did it. And I don't think it'd be fair for me to be mad about it either. That's a very healthy outlook. And I applaud you for it. I have a podcast and there's like 3 billion podcasts and I'm still like, what are you doing? <laughs> I mean, it doesn't mean that it's natural. Like <laughs> it's not natural for me to be like, get over it. And we definitely, even on Mungrown Teeth, will send a screenshot and be like, can you believe where they're doing this? Like we literally said we were doing this and everybody's doing it. Like, I'm not going to be surprised if next year a bunch of boxes start doing special edition of indie, why, like indie romance books like we've been doing because it took off and it's doing really well and people seem to really like it. So other boxes are definitely going to do it. But they're probably doing it maybe because they saw what we're doing or maybe because somebody requested them do it and they don't even know we're doing it. Like, I feel like it's really crazy to think you're the first to do anything too. So like, you have to be careful. I don't know. Even if you think you're the very first, even if you think you have receipts that you're the very first, you have no idea like what conversations they had or whatever. And honestly, like for my own mental health, it is best for me to think about it positively than competitively. Hands yeah. down. That's awesome. I applaud it. What's your favorite part about owning your own business? Power. <laughs> no, um... <laughs> I like being my own boss. I like, I don't know. I like having the freedom to, to not have to be, be somebody I'm not when I'm at work, I guess, you know, um, like I have so many people that I know that when they're at work, they have to put this thing on where they're like, you can't talk about this. You can't talk about this. You can't look like this. You can't dress like this. And I love that. I can do all of those things and be proud of it and say, actually, that's my brand now. So like who I am is my brand. And so I get to fully and authentically be myself. And I think that's really cool for me. I love that so much. What's your overall goal for the bookish box? Do you have one or is it just oh, constantly yeah. evolving? Uh, we're constantly evolving, but like getting into publishing was something that I was really interested in. And now like there are books we like publish in one sense. So like publish as far as like, we didn't work. We like, we publish books, some books ourselves, or we're literally doing there. We're getting the manuscript and we are printing it with our manufacturer, not using a publisher with these indie authors. So that's really cool. But I would like eventually to move into full publishing where we are signing authors and in charge of all that stuff and bringing it to life. 
with them. That would be really cool. I love your indie stuff. Like when you guys announced that you were doing the Bridge Kingdom, like I fangirled over that announcement so hard. And then seeing your announcements for Elise Kova, I just like your indie printing is probably my favorite special editions that you do. They are like so beautiful. <laughs> like they are so gorgeous. I am, uh, I don't know. I'm really thrilled. And I really love getting to work with indie authors because I feel like I hope that if we can do anything to help put them on a map so people can see how incredible they are, I want to do it. And it's a really cool spot to be in that we've grown enough now that we don't need somebody to have a huge audience before we, we can do something with them. And we've been very lucky that all the indie authors that we have have really worked their butts off to create an audience and to be so good. Like they always say, you know, like an indie author is not just an author. They're also like a marketing person. They're also customer service. Like they have to do all of these things and wear all of these hats. And so they've excelled really well. And that's kind of like something we look at before we will work with an indie author. Like, do you have an Instagram? Like, are you trying to actively tell people about your book? Cause we can't be the only ones telling people buy this book. And um, we've been very lucky to work with just incredibly talented authors and authors that absolutely are working for it. Like they're just awesome. And it is really fun to not have to work with the publisher. <laughs> Publishers is a lot of tape, a lot of waiting, a lot of being told no. And this is like, it's just really fun to say like, oh, what, what do we want to do for customizations? And we're like all of them and we can do it. And it's so fun. So we don't have to say no to anything. And I love it. All of them. I want all of the customizations. <laughs> I, I do. Are there any major lessons that you've learned about running a business as you've grown? Yeah. Um, one, have a good accountant. I think it's really easy to think that, especially if you're a product-based business, that all the money coming in is your money. And really it's not. So much of it is the government's and so much of it goes back into the business. Um, and it's very messy if you don't do it from the beginning, which I didn't because I just didn't think we were going to make money. So like, I thought, oh, I'd be fine. I can just, you know, this is hobby, not hobby. And um, I would say hiring people who are experts as soon as you can. So like for me, when I was trying to do everything myself, I wasn't at my best. And I think a lot of people who are small business owners kind of get into this rut where when you are a small business owner and you're a business of one, all profit is your money, you know, like you're not paying anybody out, but that means all responsibilities are on you. And I now, I make less per sale than I did before, obviously, because I have 20 employees, but I make more sales because I have so many excellent people who are in charge of making sure that every experience is great with our customers, that we have an incredible marketing team that is making sure that new people are finding us, that our customer service is like quick to respond and helpful and just genuinely cares. We're able to launch hand poured candles because we have a team that can help me do it. Like I literally woke up one day in 2019 and was like, we should make our own candles. Like, cause we had a bad experience with the candle maker where they kept saying they shipped and they didn't. And we were like, what are we supposed to do? We have to ship our boxes. And I was like, Oh, can we make them? And we just started making candles and we got good at it. And 
now we have like our candle queen who pours candles and our team that supports that person. But like, if you can hire people who can do better than you can, because you're not going to be the best at everything, your business is only going to be better, like only. So even if that means like making a little bit less money at the beginning, it's going to be like, shoot, like, I just feel like I'm making way less money, but it is so much better for like your mental health, your quality of life, but also like your customer experience. Like there are too many small businesses that don't ever hire more and then expect people to wait three weeks for a response email. Like you can't wait that long to reply to people. They spent money on your shop. You owe them communication. You can't just say, I'm the only one. Sorry. But if you have so many emails that it takes three weeks, then that means you have so many orders, then you should have more help. So I would say that's like my biggest thing, because that's a great way to like cancel yourself before you even start is to not take advantage of all the people who could do really great things for your business. That's sure. fascinating. And I just made so many notes in my head. <laughs> you talked about your team and you talked about your amazing customer support team. How do you handle critique? and upset customers like is there do you have a method of doing that I feel like you in particular are amazing about going live and hearing your customers and really being transparent so when I first was doing my own customer service I did not handle it well I took it really personal it's really hard to not if I did a design on a shirt and somebody's emailed me saying how much they hate it it's really hard not to feel like they're telling you that they hate what you've done. And instead of what you want to be hearing is like, it's not for them. And so having somebody else do customer service has been great. Um, and so obviously that worked into way more people. And so us having customer service agents who genuinely want our business to succeed is how we're able to handle upset customers because they know that we want to have our customers leave with a positive experience at the end of the day. And there are some like fine lines. So like I firmly do not believe that the customer is always right. And I actually hate that thing. And I hate, I hate the way that it has propelled this. What is it like a Karen idea, right? Where you, that's why you see people at stores that they're like demanding an impossible thing from an employee who didn't make the rules because they decided that because they're the customer, they're entitled to whatever they want. And I think you have good customers and you have bad customers, just like you have good and bad people. And there are bad customers who are going to request things that you can never do and you will never make them happy. And in those situations, we really just lay out, here's what we can do for you. We would like to be able to offer these to you. If this is not something that suits you, we understand, but we can offer these things. And I'm so wish that we can come to an agreement, but we need you to, you know, follow within these guidelines. Like if you put the wrong address and we shipped it to you at the wrong address that you gave us, and now you want us to send you a new box, we're going to ask you to pay for shipping. And I think that's fair. We didn't put the wrong address. Then we did exactly as you said, you didn't email us and we didn't respond. Like you just never said it was the wrong address, but we're going to be so kind as to lose the cost of that box that is gone in the ether and we will supply a whole new box for you, but you need to pay for shipping. And we've had people who think that's unfair or not okay. And I'm like, like, we can't do that. Like the extra money and the way that we do things goes to things that are like that. Like in our budget is making sure that we can help with lost and stolen boxes. Or if somebody orders the wrong size shirt that we ordered extra shirts so we can send them the right size and all they have to do is pay for shipping. So like, those are things that we want to be able to offer our customers. And if we 
did the bend over backwards would no longer even make sense. And this person is probably never going to order from us again, or they're always going to be a problematic customer who is wanting unrealistic things. We're not going to be able to have longevity in our business because we're going to go bankrupt because we're doing things that don't make fiscal sense. And so for us, it's always going to be a line of like, does this make sense to offer this? Is this a reasonable offer? And what can we do? And it doesn't mean that like, if we have a customer who's been with us for a long time and they're asking for something, we probably would typically say no. We can say, hey, this is a good customer who's having a bad experience. How can we fix this? But you can have a bad customer. And in those situations, you can offer what you can, but like, I'm not gonna be able to control the way that they're responding. And the only time we've ever, like we've had one customer ever that we canceled them. And it's because they were abusing my customer service employees. And I just, I won't tolerate that. But otherwise, most of our customers come in and they're really excited. And even when they're upset, they realize it's because they're so excited to have something from us. And that's a compliment. And also a lot of customers have had a really bad experience somewhere else. So they think they have to come in yelling and stomping to get their way. And they don't realize like, no, we want to come alongside you. And like, we want to help you. But if you've ever had a bad customer service experience, it kind of like colors the way that you respond to people. And we try to keep that in mind. And I have, I do have a really great team who does try to keep that in mind. And they're allowed to say, ma'am, like, I'm happy to help you, but just keep in mind, like, I'm not responsible for this. So please don't call me names or whatever. Like I would always endorse that and say, like, do that because they're people and they don't need to be abused like that. You know, far and wide, we have great customers though, that really typically don't do those things. As someone who worked customer facing jobs for so long, the customer is not always right. Most of the time they're wrong. <laughs> yeah. And you know, sometimes they're wrong because they generally didn't understand. And once they understand what's going on, then they're like, oh, okay. And some of them are wrong because they are just entitled and that's how they live their whole life. And that's what they do in every aspect is just demand and act entitled and that's it. And it might work for them at some places, especially when they're working with somebody. Like if you walk into McDonald's and you get like that, they're going to help you because like their boss doesn't have the power to say, no, 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 like we're done with you. And maybe that's why McDonald's has grown to where it is because they let people treat employees a bad way or something. And maybe we're never going to get to that level because I'm going to say no, but I'm okay with that. Like <laughs> I want my employees to have like good days, you know? Really fair. Really yeah, fair. I feel like that's fair. Again, as someone who like did customer facing jobs, like I would have loved that in a boss. <laughs> so, I mean, and it's hard because there's definitely times that they'll tell me something and I can tell that they think that they were in the right. And I have to be like, we can offer that. And, you know, like, you know, I worked at a lot of customer service for a long time when I was younger. And they always say like, don't let the customer hook you. Like you get into this like match with a customer where you're like not wanting to give them what they want because they were not nice to you when they asked for it. But like at the end of the day, should you give it to them, then you got to. And so definitely, I think we all experience that. And I think that's superhuman. But I feel like, I feel like most customers, if they come in hot, it's because they've had a bad experience elsewhere or because there's a misunderstanding. And usually, and I see all the emails, my team does a really great job of turning those customers around and being like, no, like you don't have to be out at us. We want to help you too. Like we're doing this together. So like we're a team, you know, and I think they do a really, really good job doing that. That's and cool. that's their personalities. Like Ari, who is our customer service manager, and she's in charge of that team. 
she always says she has this aura that is bright and beautiful and she makes you feel loved. And so I think she really does a good job doing that with her employees and doing that when she works with customers. So I think it's important. What a perfect aura for a customer service person. Mm -hmm. Like that's just like, she she has a cool vibe and she is a very happy person. And I can't say enough that when I walk into work, I am like hyped up. Like they all hype me up every day and they do it to each other too. Like when you walk in, like, oh my God, I love this. And I love this. Oh, your hair looks so good. And it's when you walk in and you have this whole crowd of people being so kind and they do it to each other too. It's just a really good way to start the day. And so they all do that and they're awesome. That's amazing. Can I work for you? Like this just sounds like- We're hiring. We're hiring. So let the record show we're hiring. We're hiring for warehouse employees for seasonal. Yeah, we're we're literally hiring right now in Arizona. It's got to be local, but- Listeners, if you're in Arizona, Bookish Box is hiring and I will be super jealous, but you should apply. It is. It's a good job. We have a lot of fun. It just sounds so much fun. Sounds so much better than my my government office. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure, I'm sure you worked hard to be where you're at and you deserve it. And it's probably a good job, but ours is better. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, it is. It just sounds like it is. (laughs) I mean, we have hard days too, like right now with all the delays that are happening and we just have to like take the brunt end of it. Like we legitimately have no control with what's going on in publishing and printing, like just none. And they'll tell us, okay, it's shipping. And then we'll be like, should have delivered. We contact them. They're like, oh, they're still printing them. It'll probably be another three weeks. And we're like, what? <laughs> like no one communicating that. I'm like, we're really sorry. The printers didn't communicate with us. So we last, we were told they were going to be shipping. And so it's just, it's a bad situation. And so there's definitely bad days where we're like, move, 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 move. But I don't know. Everyone has a pretty good attitude and stuff. It's very hot right now. So that does not help. And we all are masking. So that really stinks when you have to mask and be hot. So we're just waiting for it to cool down. Oh yeah. So you are first and foremost a reader. What type of books do you gravitate towards? I am a person who has anxiety. So I gravitate towards books that I've already read. So they know how they're going to end. I have a really hard time reading new books and I have to for my job. So it's interesting. And I think it's the reason why I've read more books is because I've had that as a, as like a, I have to do it. Um, I need books to have romance in them. And I know some people are just like, I hate why you have romance, but I need it to have romance. And I gravitate towards, I don't like books written from male perspective either. Like I need it to be the main character needs to be a she or a they. Um, I just don't gravitate towards him. And I don't mind fade to black but I prefer like new adult. I just feel like I don't love sometimes the, like a very young adult. I don't love the relationship immaturity, mm-hmm. but um, I love a slow burn, love a slow burn. Love it. Love it. And in fact, once they finally get together, I'm like, all right, we're done. <laughs> and there's still like three quarters of the book left or a quarter of the book left. And I don't care. Cause I just like the slow burn and then once they're together and then I'm over it. <laughs> what are some of your favorite titles and authors? Um, one of my favorite authors is Taryn Fisher. She's an indie author that's now been uh, published with HarperCollins. Her big published books are thrillers, like psychological thrillers. 
her indie published books are like a romance psychological thrillers and I love all of them but I really really love um some of her I love her Love Me With Lies series which I think is her very first book series and it's very great like the concept I'm just going to tell you um so the concept is that it's a girl and it's her perspective and she you don't know why but you know because there's forward and backward that she was in love with this guy at one point and they're no longer together and she walks into a record store and he's in there and she's gonna be like oh shit i have to get out of here because he hates her and she and you don't know why but you know that he hates her now but he doesn't act like he hates her and he just talks to her like she's a stranger and it's really weird and you come to find out that he was in an accident and has lost his memory. And he's going to eventually get it back. And then she's in this like peril of like, do I ride this out and get to know him? So he doesn't know that that's why I get to have in my life and know that he's going to hate me all the more for taking advantage of this when he does realize what I've done. Or do I not really acknowledge him and move on because I know that's what him and his right mind would want. And it's very good. It's so good. That sounds it's- like such a unique plot too i'm writing it's so good and all of her characters every character she ever writes is so human and gray like no one of them are you're like they always do the right thing they're self-serving like they're human and i love it um she's definitely one of my favorite authors and she's just such a cool individual i really like her as a person um um, i i like sarah j moss a lot um i really like i even like jennifer armantrout I've followed her for so long. She's a very cool person and she writes very great and fun books. And I love, I love her male leads. They're always really awesome. And the other favorite book I have, it's called The History of Love by Nicole Krause. It's so good. And it's about a love story that spans like generations. There's a lot of really good history in there. And you almost want to make like a family tree when you're reading it. So you can keep track of who's who. It's really, really good. Those books I love. That's such a great list. I like romance. (laughs) (laughs) I am a big romance person as well. So like that was just like a wonderful, wonderful list. (laughs) What, what's your list? My favorites are Kate Canterbury is a big favorite of mine. Um, Her Walsh series follows like a family and it's like a series of standalones and I like the Bridgertons where yeah. you don't have to have read them, but it's good too if you can. Exactly. And they're like the women in these here in the series is are they so strong? I and like that in the book. I just want to be them. So <laughs> <laughs> I also love Jennifer Armand Trout. I also love Sarah J. Mass. But I I also really love Tessa Bailey. She's a new one I found. I've heard of her. I need to read her because I think she's going to be at a Polycon. And so I want to read her. I also really, really love um, Danielle Jensen. Mm-hmm. Bridge Kingdom, I just thought was so good. Oh, and you know what? I really love the Guild Plated Prisoner series. I really, really love those. That's my exact, I always say that, like those two books are the exact like fantasy formula for me where there's romance, but there's a lot of political intrigue and things going on as well. So I can't have it be just romance. And so I feel like those books are exactly what I'm looking for. They're so good. I fangirl over Danielle Jensen so much. 
she was gracious enough to be one of my first guests on this podcast. Oh, how cool. And She's a really cool person. We did a FaceTime with her when we first like pitched to her and she coolest. was so cool. Yes. Like the coolest and like so honest and just in love with her. You feel very like she's very authentic when you're speaking yeah. with her. And I like that. Absolutely. Well, this has been lovely. Thank you so much for taking the time. I just have one last closing question. And it's a question. Yeah. All my guests, what books are you currently binging? So what are you currently reading? I usually have a few. So I'm reading Cemetery Boys right now. Oh, I hear that's reading, so good. It is very good so far. I'm rereading our November book, Autumn's Tide, because I'm trying to remember parts of it for things. And let me look on my Kindle. Kingdom of the Cursed. So good. If you read Kingdom of the Wicked, Kingdom of the Cursed feels like you're stepping almost into a different book because it goes into it feels one it is definitely new adult so uh-huh. that's the reason another reason we wouldn't have put it in the white box it is definitely new adult and it is so good it is so good it's so much romance and the first book has romance but there's also like a lot going on mm-hmm. so like it's very slow slow burn which obviously I loved but this book is so good it's so good it feels very like Akatar to Akamoth like that oh, okay. step of like because Akamoth to me is my favorite book in the series. Well, actually now Nesta's story is, but that that is my favorite book in the original ones. And I think it feels like that to me. Like it's that step that I'm just like so happy for. And I love the first one, but this one I think is like, I think people are going to lose their minds over that book. We try to forecast that because we want to make sure like we're considering like merchandise and all that kind of stuff for it. But I feel so strongly that people are going to lose their minds for that book. They will. And then I'm reading Unsticky and it's by Sarah Manning and I love it. And it's like the 50th time I've read it. That's what I've been binging. I always go back to that one or a few other ones, but it's like my palate pressure. I have those as well. And honestly, a lot of that's like air of fire on for Throne of Glass. (laughs) Yeah. When I read um, Kingdom of Ash, we did a book box around it. So I got it like two months early. And I had to sign all these NDAs, which is now it's like very normal for us to have to do that. It was the first time I had had to do it that time. And I read the book and I cried through it and I could talk to no one. And it was horrible, just horrible. Stephanie always says that she refuses to read them early now because she's like, I can't do that. Like her, cause they're, she's friends with Sarah. So she says like, she doesn't like to do that either for the same reason, because like, then you can't talk to anybody about it. And you're just like carrying this like emotional burden and it stinks. So that book crushed me as much as I would love to be one of the people that gets an arc for that. Like that alone just makes me want to be like, I can wait. (laughs) Yeah, you really can because, and we have to do it early. And that's the other part is that like, I read Kingdom of the Curse months ago, loved it, loved it. I think I was one of the first people outside of her editors to read it is what, what Carrie had said. And I kept telling Anissa from Fairy that I kept saying, you need to read this so we can talk about it. That's one person I can talk to about it. Um, and uh, anyways, by the time everybody reads it, I'm already working on other things and it's not even on the forefront of my mind. So I'm not going to have the conversations that everybody else is going to have like on book talk or whatever. So I'm excited for it to happen though. Cause then I'll get to like relive it. But That's awesome. that, that series is like literally one to watch. I know it's just going to keep blowing up. It's so good. 
I didn't love the first one, but it has so much promise. And so I like was read the second one. I was going to read the second one and now I'm sold that I'm probably going to love the second. (laughs) And they may even, I think it was done editing by the time I had it, but it may not be. So it might even be better than what I thought it was, but I was super impressed. So in love. So definitely read it. Well, on this fun note, we're just going to leave you with that. (laughs) Thank you so much for being here, Justine. I really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. This has been Justine from The Bookish Box. You can follow the company The Bookish Box on Instagram at The Bookish Box and see all of their amazing special editions and all their amazing books coming up for their monthly boxes. You can shop The Bookish Box at The Bookish Shop at thebookishshop.com. And there you'll also be able to look at their different subscriptions and go from there. They are an amazing company, as you can tell from this amazing conversation, and I am so thankful that you guys got to hear it. This has been a Bookshelf Binge. I'm your host, Jessica. You can follow me on Instagram at Bookshelf Binge. Bookshelf Binge now has a Patreon. I have three different tiers right now, so be sure to go on Patreon and check that out. They're awesome. The first tier gets you a weekly newsletter with recaps and kind of what to expect coming up. The second tier gets you these episodes early and ad-free. And then the top tier, you get an extra bonus episode. So that's so fun. I'm so stoked. In the episode description, you can also find the link to the Discord server. Be sure to join that and chat with me all the time about what you want to see, what companies you want to hear from, what bookstagrammers you want to hear from, and more. Thank you guys so much for listening, and I'll talk to you next week.